Pray with me for a moment. Father, we come to you. We ask you, Lord, to empower us to hear, empower me to speak. Father, open these scriptures to us. Send your Holy Spirit to teach us all things. We commit this time to you. We ask that your Son be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So why are we going through this confession anyhow? So we can be good Pharisees, so we can get a head full of knowledge. I was thinking about that today because we've been going through, uh, my girls and I have been going through Paul, Paul Washer's book on the, the first, his first book on the gospel. And he reminded us in chapter 15 today that it, it's really to know these things so that we can minister to other people. So that we can bring the gospel to other people, so we can bring truth where there's error. And that's really true of, of the confession as well. So, can we put that up there, David? So here's chapter 8 and paragraph 8. And we're still talking about Christ as our mediator. And what's a mediator do? Mediator do again? What's a mediator? It's a go-between. Think of an ambassador. Bring two warring factions together to bring peace. To all those for whom Christ has obtained eternal redemption, he does certainly and effectually apply and communicate the same, making intercession for them, uniting them to himself by his spirit, revealing to them in and by the word the mystery of salvation persuading them to believe and obey, governing their hearts by his word and spirit, and overcoming all their enemies by his almighty power and wisdom, in such manner and ways as are most consonant to his wonderful and unsearchable dispensation, and all a free and absolute grace without any condition foreseen in them to procure it. So, this, this paragraph is written to you if you are in Christ as a believer. It's to all those whom Christ has obtained eternal redemption. And we learned last week, as Mr. Law taught, that while Christ's atonement was sufficient for the whole world, for the sins of the whole world, it was limited to the elect of God. It was a particular redemption limited to God's elect people. I remind you that, here's what Wayne Grudem says, this is very interesting. He says that all evangelicals, Calvinists and Arminians believe that the atonement's limited. It's either limited by a group that God limits or it's limited by man because it's in man's choosing. But all believe it's limited. So it's either limited by God or it's limited by man. It's either limited by its limit or by its efficacy. And we know that it can't be by efficacy meaning that God 
if he has purchased an elect people, meaning that God isn't able to save them. He's not able to bring them out. So here, let me, let me just sum up tonight's message. Here's the deal. As mediator, Christ brings to his elect people real peace. And you know it. He brings to the believer real peace. And you know it. Here's the promises. Romans 8.30 Moreover, whom he predestinated, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Do you see the chain? If he predestined, he called. Past tense. If he called, he justified. Past tense. If he justified, he glorified. In eternity past, not yet applied. We, are you glorified yet? Have you received your glorified body yet as a saint? That's the last aspect of, of redemption for us to receive. And yet, hear the Apostle Paul saying, past tense, he glorified you. Because what he begins, he will finish. That's what we're going to see. See this? He does certainly effectually apply and communicate the same. See, this calling, it's effective. The effectual call. We're going we're gonna to learn about that as we get into the next, the next chapters are on the effectual calling. His grace is irresistible. Wayne Grudem says this, This calling, it's like kind of a summons from the king of the universe. And it has such power that it brings about the response that it asks for in people's heart. It is an act of God that guarantees a response. So we see the writers of the catechism saying, he does certainly and effectually apply and communicate the same. It's going to happen. There's a certainty to it. It's a 100% guarantee. It's going to happen, and it will be effective. How do we know that? We know that from the Word of God. John 6.37 says, All that the Father gives me. Write this down and look this up in your Bible later. John 6.37, All that the Father gives me will come to me. There's a certainty to it. It's going to happen. And the one who comes to me, I will. There is the will again. I will by no means cast out. We see in John 17. Hey, remember Jesus said in his high priestly prayer, Hey, the the ones that you've given to me, I have lost none. And in 17.6, he says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me. Remember, no one comes to the Son except what? The Father draws them. And he says, I've made my name known to the men you have given me. Who are the ones that he's given to him? 
those that were called before the foundation of the world, those that were the elect of God before the foundation of the world, the ones that Christ died for. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. For you as a believer, atonement, the atonement, the redemption, it's been applied to you. It's been communicated to you. In John 10, 15, this is what we're talking about. He, he says, how does, and he does certainly and effectually apply and communicate the same to you. John 10, 15, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring. Speaking of the Gentiles. Speaking of the Jews. Speaking of the Gentiles. And they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. His sheep hear his voice. He communicates to his sheep. His saints. His people. And we know Paul in Romans 8.16 that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. This, this moves into the realm of assurance that we are the children of God. You know in your knower that you are a child of God because His Spirit bears witness with your spirit. We get it. And what does He do? Here's another one of the benefits for the redeemed. Making intercession for them. In John 17, 19, he says, I pray for them. Jesus is saying, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those who you have given me, for they are yours. And then in Romans 8, 34, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen and is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. And then in Hebrews 7.25, therefore he also is able to save to the uttermost. This is the efficacy of his power. And, and this is, it, it, there's a certainty to it. It's going to happen. And here's why. Because he's able to save to the uttermost those to who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Let me ask you a question. Do you think, Katie, do you think that the, that, that the Father answers the prayers of Christ, of his Son? Yeah. You think when Jesus prays to the Father and prays for, you think that the Father answers? And he's li he ever lives to make intercession for you. I was thinking about that. He, not only through his active and his passive obedience, has he become the mediator. He's, he's just and he's the justifier, right? He purchased, he purchased us with his own blood. He bought and he paid for you. And he's the mediator. He's bringing peace between man and God. But then individually, he's making intercession for you to, to bring it to pass. I'm supposed to bring a message on Jonah, and I'm like, 
I don't. I keep going. Should I call Scott and just say, get somebody else? Because I keep reading Jonah, and I'm like, the more I read it, the more I study it, the more confused I get. But they throw him out of the boat and a whale comes and swallows him. God brings the whale. And then later on he's all ripped off of God and, and you know, this, this gourd, God brings the seed, the, the gourd grows up, covers him in one day. And then he sends a worm the next day to kill the gourd. And, and I'm looking and I'm thinking, all of the things that God has in his control in the natural realm, he has power over all of it, and he's using it to affect a man's heart. And if Jesus is making intercession for you, he's going to bring it about. It's going to happen. And it may be like, bring this, or bring this, or cause this to happen, or cause that to happen. Or maybe it's as simple as Father cause the day started to shine in their hearts. Uniting them to himself by his spirit. Again, we go back to Romans 8. There's a lot of scriptures. You might want to just read the whole chapter, but in Romans 8 and verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the Spirit dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. This is one of the things that happens. As God puts his Spirit in us. And again in Romans 8.14, As many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. Revealing to them in and by the word, the mystery of salvation. Paul in Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. Listen to these words. We have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of sin, according to his grace. He made known its mystery to us according, the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. The Spirit of God makes it known to us. Do you recall all of the things that Jesus did with his disciples? And they just didn't get it. They were with him and they didn't get it. And then after the resurrection, they're walking on the road to Emmaus. And what happens? God opens the eyes of their understanding. And the Word of God... It burned in their hearts. It was exploding in their hearts because they could they get it. They were now able to be able to piece everything together because what was happening is God was revealing it to them. And God does that as He's as Christ is doing that as a role of mediator and bringing you to God, bringing peace between you and the Father. 
Do you remember Jesus in, in John or in Luke 19? Jesus says to his disciples, who, who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're, you, you know, this person. And then Jesus, I believe in a very personal way with, with Peter. I think he gazed right into Peter's eyes and I think he said, Peter, I don't really care what all of they, all, I don't care who they think that I am. Who do you say that I am? And you remember how Peter answered that? How did Peter answer that? Thou art the Christ. And Peter, always putting his foot in his mouth, this one he got right. Jesus said, Peter, don't take too much credit for this. You didn't get this on your own. Your Father which is in heaven has revealed this to you. Do you see the revelation? The Spirit of God brings the mystery of salvation. And for us, it's by the Word of God. Revealing to them in and by the word. And Jesus, by the way, Jesus is the word. The beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the same was in the beginning. And he opens it to us and we see it. We begin to see things that we never saw. How does that happen? Here's how it happens. This is, we talk about being born again, and we get it all messed up. We think about, here, here's how most evangelicals think of being born again. Say the sinner's prayer, and you get born again. How many of you think that, right? That's what we think, because that's what we thought. That's what we were taught. That's not how it happens. John 3, John 3, 3. You read all of John 3, read it up through 16. The Father has to open their eyes. No man can see the kingdom of God. You can't see the kingdom of God. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then John goes on to explain. The wind, in John 3, 8, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Spirit of God comes in and He takes out the heart of stone and he gives us a heart of flesh and he changes our disposition because our, what's our natural disposition we hate God we're like you know there was a king a prince that was sent from a faraway kingdom and again in Luke 19 and what did the people say we will not have this man to reign over us There's a, this is our natural man we're at war with God we're at enmity with God and God, the Holy Spirit, sneaks into our heart. The wind blows into our heart. And he swaps out our heart. And all of a sudden we're going, huh. Wow. I, I get it. Like the centurion, he said, truly, this was the Son of God. Who gave him that revelation? The Spirit of God <coughs> opened his eyes. It was prophesied. See, in, in the next version, I'll, I'll wrap up. Persuading them to believe. 
persuading them to believe and obey, governing their hearts by his word and spirit. And here's the prophecy that was fulfilled. And this is the gospel, the promise of the gospel in Ezekiel 36, the promise of the new covenant, Ezekiel 36, 26. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. That's being born again. We call that regeneration. And that happens. It changes our disposition so that we can believe because our natural condition is that we're depraved and we're at war with God and we hate God. We can't save ourselves. We can't see until God gives us a new heart. And then we see. And then we can enter in. I will give you a new heart, put my new spirit and a new spirit in you, within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a, or out of your flesh, yeah, and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments to do them. And this is where we say he, he persuades them to believe and obey, governing their hearts by his word and spirit. So we walk in obedience to what we once hated. We once hated the law of God. Now we delight in the law of God after the inner man. In 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty five. Let me back up. And overcoming all their enemies by his almighty power and wisdom in such manner and ways as are most consonated to his wonderful and unsearchable dispensation. He overcomes their enemies. He overcomes your natural inclinations. Who you are in Adam, he overcomes that. Think about the children of Israel when they go into Canaan. God promised them Canaan. It was theirs, the promised land, and they went in. There was only one problem with the promised land. It was full of the enemies of God. And that's true of you when God redeems us and he saves you and he justifies you, and yet his enemies remain in us. And the process of sanctification, just like, just like the Israelites battling the Philistines and battling uh, the Moabites and battling this group and that group, the Girgashites and all of them. And we could name those in our own life as God delivers us. He continues to mediate for us. 1 Corinthians 15.25, For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. He breaks down all of our animosity towards God. When my brother-in-law, Eric, got saved in this church some, must have been 10, 11, 12 years ago, he was so convicted and he didn't want to bow the knee. But his confession was, it was the only thing I could do. That's true of us. And that's a work that God does in our hearts. God does that. Remember, it's like this invitation from the king, but with that invitation comes the power to do it. See, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. And then lastly, of 
and all of free and absolute grace without any condition foreseen in them to procure it. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace have you been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should, should boast. And here I believe that they're very specifically renouncing what's called the prescient view. The prescient view goes like this. Regarding um, predestination and election. Well, God didn't really elect and save before the foundation of the world, but because God is omniscient, he could see into the future, and he knew that basically, because he could see that you would choose of your own free will, Christ as Savior, that's how come you were predestined and elected. The confession is saying that's false. Nothing foreseen. Wasn't, you weren't elected or predestined because God could see into the future that you would do it. The only reason you did do it is because God purposed for it to happen with certainty. He communicates. He applies it. It's going to happen. It's with certainty and efficacy. There's no power on earth. There's no power in hell that can stop God's divine edict and application of salvation in the life of those he died for. What a promise. That ought to cause you to just fall on your face and thank God. Father, thank you for the work of your Son as a mediator. We rejoice in our salvation. We rejoice in your gift and your grace and your mercy. And we thank you, Father, that your Son ever lives to make intercession for us. 